Good morning, our dear listeners. You're welcome to PwC Nigeria Quarterly Energy Podcast called Let's Talk Energy, where we discuss energy topics across the world. Today, we are focusing on recent developments in the offshore oil and gas industry, specifically the recently concluded marginal fields build round. My name is Gide Adiola, Partner Energy Utilities and Resources, and I have with me in the studios Adiola Akrimade, Executive Director, Petroleum Group and CEO of Petroleum 54. Adiola, you're welcome. Thank you, Gide. Uh, just a brief introduction, Adiola is the Executive Director of Finance of Petroleum Energy. Uh, Petroleum is an upstream energy company established to acquire, develop, operate and finance hydrocarbon assets in Nigeria and in the oil and gas uh, sector. Adiola is a chartered accountant and holds a BSc from uh, Obafemi Awolowo University, Ileife. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners this morning, we, we're talking about marginal fields development in Nigeria. And of course, marginal fields have several parameters that can affect them. Um, environmental, political, stability, access, remoteness, and of course, the price and stability of the products um, that comes out of those fields. Marginal field development has gained relevance in Nigeria because of the benefits um, to the economy. The federal government of Nigeria commenced the Marginal Fields Round Program in 2001 as part of their policy to improve the nation's strategic reserves and promote indigenous participation in the upstream oil and gas sector. 20 years after the award of Marginal Fields um, as you know, continue to progress, but 50% have developed into production. 13% of those awarded back then have made some progress with the acquisition, while 37% remain undeveloped. This poor performance of the marginal field operators is due to certain challenges, some of which we're going to talk about today. And so, I want to start with this this morning with the first question I have for you, Adiola. Can you please just, uh, you know, in your experience, give us an overview of how the entire process went for you in terms of how you, you know, ended up, um, you know, uh, becoming an operator of a field in the Nigerian and gas space? Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Gide. A pleasure to be here. Um, my thanks to you, Enterprise Waterhouse Coopers. Uh, you've long been our partners, not just a big four member, or should I say a big two member, because I think it's Pricewaterhouse and the rest. Um, Nigeria is very much um, an oil and gas country. So I, I want to give you a bit of context first as to why I feel I have a right to even speak to this topic and also to what I believe the audience is comprised of. Um, we're an oil and gas um, country. I mean, a third of the government's budgets um, revenue is oil and gas. 90% of our export earnings is from oil and gas, even though 9% of the GDP only um, comprises um, of, of oil and gas. But nevertheless, the oil and gas industry remains a mystery to the man on the street. That's why I think what you're doing at PwC is important work, demystifying that. Why, am I, why do I have a right to even talk about this today? You spoke about my background with my degree, which was in accounting from OAU. Um, I'll just keep forward to 2002 when I started working with a telecommunications company. We were the first company, we, in fact, we were the pioneer company that came into the country with MTN. I was fortunate to be the project accounting lead um, in that company, and um, we built the technical and infrastructural background of telecommunications that you see today. Most of the companies that you see today maintaining the telecoms infrastructure were companies that we mentored when we came in in 2002. I was with that company for about 10 years, garnering technical and operational knowledge, became this de facto CFO, then moved on into oil and gas. 
I've worked with quite a few oil and gas companies in roles such as project accounting, financial management, and even executive roles like the current role that I occupy. But the beauty of it is that because of the extensive experience I have in project accounting, I've garnered quite a bit of expertise and technical knowledge, which is why I'm the chief operating officer of um, the SPV that holds our operating assets. Now, to answer your question directly about marginal fields, I, like, I love your definition of marginal fields. I'm going to bring it home a bit. Generally, marginal fields refer to discoveries that have not been exploited for long. That's the general definition of a marginal field, whether we're talking about the Nazi or we're talking about any other country. In Nigeria, a marginal field is defined as a field that has had reserves reported annually to the DPR. Well, we call them NOC, Nigerian Upstream Production and Petroleum Regulatory Commission now, reported annually to the NOC and booked, and yet has remained undeveloped for over a decade. If you fall, if imagine if a field falls into that bucket, then it's it is defined as a marginal field. Um, historically, I love the fact that I refer to the 1990-1996 period, which was um, about the time the marginal fields came into existence. That was when we had the first round of marginal field awards to indigenous companies that are now famous today. The fanfares of this world started with OPL 216, which later became OML 127. Sapetro has um, OML 130, which is the Egina and Apple field. They started from 1990. But coincidentally, you know, I talked about my experience in 2002 when um basically initiated and oversaw the telecommunications growth in Nigeria. Coincidentally as well, we had the Petroleum Amendment Act of 1996, which Obasanjo administration encouraged and utilized to bring forth um, another round of award. That was the 2020-2023 award. So we're talking about one of my favorite companies now um, in this period, Jogbela Field, Niger Delta. I love the way that company operates. That was when they got their field, although theirs was slightly like a pre-award. Then we had Ibigwe Watersmith, Umasadege um, uh, Midwestern, and then we also had um, Uko Frontier. These companies now are like the gold standard for what an indigenous oil and gas company should be. And this all started in around 1996. Even though, as you mentioned, unfortunately, decades later, only 50% have developed, but still we have those superstars. Now, to your specific question, um, you asked me about the entire process. Am I right? That's correct. All right. Thank you very much. You know, I'd spoken about the awards um, that were granted to various companies um, in the 1990s and the 1996 era. Dawes Island Field was first held by Chevron, but not as Dawes Island. It was held as OML 54, Oil Mining Lease 54. Chevron had a PI, a participating interest in it, and they operated that asset. But that asset contained the Dawes Island Marginal Field. So what happened in 1979 was that Chevron drilled a discovery well on that asset. They encountered some pressure. Eventually, they had a stock drill pipe. And as you can imagine, a stock drill pipe takes quite a lot of expertise and funds to retrieve. And it was, like I would say in quotes, just a discovery well. And it being Chevron, a mighty IOC, they plugged and abandoned. And I think from reading their, their, their reports, their geological reports, they did not deem it worth their well in terms of the economic margins that could, they could get from that well for them to go back into the well. So they left it plugged and abandoned from 1979. You know, we defined an oil and gas marginal field in Nigeria as one that has not been worked upon or produced for a period of 10 years. 
So nothing was done on the asset for the next 10 years. Fast forward to 2001, yes. just in time for it to fall into the bucket of the Marina bid round of 2003. Um, so it was carved out and declared the Marina field in 2001. So as part of the 2003 Marina field um, assets in the bucket, it was, award, it was allocated to a, a sole operator, who of course paid all the signature bonus and it became an awardee. Then fast forward again to 2021, um, it was awarded to Petroleum 54 Limited. All right, thank you very much for that. Um, that is quite an experience um, and also a lot of history in terms of um, the development of marginal free fielding experience. Well, let me ask you another question that's quite related to that. Um, if you look at what has happened since, you know, uh, going down again the history and why some of them have developed and why some haven't developed, what has been, what should be the next step since their word of, for example, your own license and how have you progressed with them? So the very first thing that happens when you receive your letter of allocation is you celebrate. <laughs> you know, you rejoice because, you know, you've been allocated the um, imaginal field, which, as I said, is a big deal in Nigeria. Then the next thing you do is you settle down to read the letter properly. And what pops out at you is a signature bonus. So I'm going to define a signature bonus because, like I said, I believe our audience are industry experts and the man on the street. A signature bonus is a single non-recoverable lump sum payable by the licensee, or in this case, an awardee. I, I use the term awardee loosely because until you actually fulfill the next steps I'm talking about, you are merely an allocatee, if there's such a name, um, to the government. So it's something that you need to pay to the government. It's non-recoverable. You pay it once upon being granted or being notified of an OPL or PPL award. Now, typically, um, you're given about 45 to 90 days to make the signature and bonus payment remittance. Then there's a cure period. What's a cure period? That means that if you're unable to make it by the 90th day, you have another 30 days to make good on, you know, making the remittance. If you're unable to make that remittance within the cure period, then the allocation is, is basically um, rescinded by, by the federal government. And case in point, because let me situate it in the 2020 Marina field bid round. There were 57 fields, 161 companies shortlisted, but unfortunately only 120 companies could pay. So come, you know, the end of that cure period, um, the NOC cancelled or rescinded the letter of allocation, the allocation actually to 33 companies. Once you're done with remittance of the signature bonus, it is acknowledged by the federal government. Then the next step um, is typically a farm out. Now, why do I say typically when a transition period? The PIA was promulgated and came into effect in August 2021. So the farm out is actually being process is being phased out. But nevertheless, I think it's relevant to talk about it because in the Nigerian mind, a farm out is seen as, oh, you come in and I you, you, we farm in to a certain participating interest and economic interest. But that's not really what a farm out is. The beauty of a farm out is it can take several forms. A farm out could be a technical farm out. It could be a financial farm out. It could be a service farm out. I've been part of at least two joint ventures that were in one, my company was a technical farming. Um, and in another, we were the financial family. So what a farm out essentially tries to do is to spread the risk and exposure of investing in an asset. And it's also to bring in the strengths and expertise that perhaps the allocatee or the awardee does not have. So say I'm somebody, say my company has financial expertise, but we don't have technical expertise, or we have a little bit of technical expertise because before you are awarded 
um, an imaginal field. Anyway, you must have a clear line of sight. To you must evidence technical expertise and a clear line of sight to financial um, ability, oh, capability. Yes, 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 exactly to develop. But perhaps you don't have enough, so you hired on people to support you in that. So typically, that's what a farm out is. But in the Nigerian marginal field context, a farm out is when you assign part of an oil, natural gas, mineral interest operating right to a third party. Who is the farmy? You are the farmer. And then you have a commercial agreement around that, which has things like overriding royalty. Okay, thank you very much. Just before my audience gets lost in the farmy, farmer, um, you know, uh, situation going on there, <laughs> is there anything that, um, you know, you want to maybe expand on in terms of the uh, definition of, of the various and what it means? Um, thank you very much, Judy. Um, a good question. Um, I would actually like to expand on the structure that underpins um, um, that relationship. Um, as you can imagine, because of the various forms it comes in, you must have an agreement. So you have your relationship with the federal government, but now you must have a relationship. It's like a tenant-landlord situation, actually. Yes. You know, the landlord has the OML, what we should be called OML, OML under um, the Petroleum Act, now called the PML. Um, sorry, fun facts. If you want to get used to this OML, PML dichotomy, just, just, yes, just change the oil to petroleum, <laughs> you know. So, so, so what happens is that a farm out is guided by what is called a farm out agreement. And what's a farm out agreement? Simply, it's a document that allocates responsibilities, liabilities, and codifies the commercial agreements or the operational agreements. And that is what guides your relationship. That's what a farm out is, agreement is. Now, even those farm out agreements are in transition. If you're a marginal field, because I mean, we're talking marginal field today, and your asset was declared a marginal field before January 2021, and you already had a farm out agreement, what the PIA allows you to do is to continue to utilize the terms um, of your farm out agreement to continue to work under those terms, but you have 18 months within which you need to convert to, I believe it's to a PML. Um, yes, and I think that 18 months lapses uh, is uh, ends in about... February 2023, as um, the PIA was enacted in, was implemented in August 2021. Yes. So you've got 18 months. I mean, you can convert early, but you must convert at the end of those 18 months. Now, if it was, if your asset was declared in marginal field prior to January 2021 and you were not producing automatically with effect from August 2021, you have a PPL right there. Yeah. Now, th there's something that is close to my heart here that I should also just mention because I love the fact that the PIA has made our dreams come true. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about the fiscal terms of the PIA. You know, when I came into oil and gas, I read that, you know, uh, the fiscal terms that petroleum profit tax for marginal fields was supposed to be 55%, but it was never gazetted. And it was a thing of pain for us because then you would have your 65.75 thereabouts for the first five years, then go on to hit the 85% yes. PPT. Um, it's beautiful to me to see that under the PIA, I think for the PPL, you have 15%. And for the, um, I'm still in the OML PPL, even I am struggling. And for the PML, you have the 30% yes. for your hydrocarbon tax, aside right. from your CIT. So the beauty of it is that, hey, here we are now at 45% thereabouts. So that's something that I love about um, the PIA. Just said that. Just said. Let me throw that in and say and thank you. Still you still have capital allowances and all that. I still have capital claim, allowances. So also, there, although good. there are some things I don't love in there. For example, uh, my finance costs. I can't um, deduct my finance cost anymore from my hydrocarbon tax. 
I can't deduct arbitration fees, not that I have any legal fees, but you know, but I mean, it's a give and take. You know, you remember what you said you went to celebrate. So those are the things that sort of temper the scale of the yes. celebration you have there. Yes. So yes. Um, it's very fantastic to have that. But there's something quite interesting about what you said earlier in terms of paying the signature bonus and all that. Um, in your experience, how significant is this? And how, what kind of support have you received um, from the regulators um, in terms of the process of you know, payment of signature bonus? Even the award itself, and how much support do you envisage that you will get from them going forward in terms of even the operations of the assets themselves? Thank you. Thank you. Um, the signature bonus was arrived at, in my opinion, in a scientific and empirical manner. Um, it wasn't just a random number by the regulator. Um, I'll confess this. I've grown to have a lot of respect for the regulators in the past few months that we've been relating together. They've been very proactive, very supportive, holding our hands, providing us with technical data, technical information about the field, which as you can imagine is paramount if you have to plan to develop and work the field in a business-like manner. They've taken us through the life cycle of the field from development even to, to, to abandonment. Yes, we've yes. spoken about abandonment plans, you know, having an escrow account and all those other discussions, we've had it with them. We even went on the assets, they took us around the asset. We spoke, you know, to, 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 to it was called DPR, um, I mean, last year, that was- Yes, it's now called NUPRC, Nigeria Upstream Petroleum Regulatory Commission. Commission. Yes. Thank you. And also we have the Nigeria Midstream and Downstream, Downstream Regulatory Authority. Authority, the authority. So we call them Commission and Authority. You know, I'm very impressed with the depth of knowledge that they have brought to bear and we have benefited from it. And you know what? You asked, you said going forward, I think it's going to get better. Why? I mean, I looked at the crop of private, um, um, private sector individuals that they have recently appointed as executive commissioners. And, you know, they've got the best, bright, young minds, you know, coming on board with a wealth of experience. Um, I looked at the profile of the legal advisor, commission secretary, and I was, I was so impressed. So what do I expect in the future? I expect them to continue to provide us with an enabling environment um, to do well in the upstream petroleum operations. And also I expect an improvement in responsiveness and proactivity because they're bringing in the private sector mindset. So I believe they will add even more value to the commission and the authority and even to us, um, you know, um, the, the marginal field operators. Thank you very much for that comment as well. Um, I really like your response. There is another side of the last question I asked, which is related to, you know, funding the payment of the signature bonus. Yes. And of course, you know, you will have uh, your initial work programs uh, all the way to the development of the field. So what kind of support is your current is your company currently getting from financial institutions following the award? And how much more support do you envisage that you will get from them? You know, these are significant capital spends in USD. So how do you see that panning out? Um, GD, I have to tell you, it's a bit of a challenge. Again, let me start generally. Nigeria is not currently the destination, the favorite destination of, you know, foreign direct investments. Um, financial institutions, international ones are also not looking at us. Um, unfortunately, they're not um, enthused about um, our policies and then also the security, the general insecurity in the country is a deterrent to that kind of investment. 
um, then you say, okay, what well, that's a, that's international community. What about you know your local financial institutions? But you know, over the years, I mean, we're talking from 1993 to date, these financial institutions have had their hands burnt several times. They've gone out on a limb to support oil and gas companies, both local and international companies, less the international companies, and they've had their hands burnt with default. Now, somebody might say, but that's their job. Isn't that what they're in the business of doing? Is it not to provide loans and facilities and there will be incidents of default? But you have to put it into context. And there's a statement that you made just now in asking that question, Didi, that answers the question. Let me situate it for the man on the street. A well could cost as much as $25 million. Translate that at the current official rate of 415. You've got over 10 and a half billion naira. That well goes south. There's a stock pipe. It's a dry well for whatever reason. You have a financial institution carrying that on their balance sheet. How many of them can tolerate that? To take that 10.4 billion, spread it out over four FMCG, fast-moving consumer group companies, you make your returns. Yeah, very quickly. Yes, very quickly. So it's, it's, it's to them the risk seems inordinate with respect to the returns. And so they're not very eager. But here's what we have done. So that's a general situation. But I have to also be very sincere with you, even though it will seem like humble bragging. We don't have that challenge in petrol on 54. We don't have financing issues. Um, why? Because we deploy the right tool to the, for the right problems. You spoke about signature bonus. And this is for my, uh, for my people that are coming on board. Don't look to, to an FI to support you for a signature bonus. You're not going to get it. For a signature bonus, what you need is equity. You're allowed to farm out a certain portion up to a certain amount to other companies. That's what you do. Look at the farm out um, arrangement that I spoke about. Could it be technical? Could it be financial? Yeah, and bring right. yes, and bring on capital yeah. to fund your signature bonus. Yes. If your company has the right profile, your SPV in this case for the Marina build rounds, because I mean we all had to come together and form an SPV, then you should be able to attract the right kind of equity to pay for your signature bonus. Going forward into development, we then need to look at okay. So let me use Petrolon as an example. Um, like I said, we don't have that problem because we have strong corporate governance and experienced board and management. I could spend all day talking about our border management, but I encourage you to go onto our website and see the wealth. We've got over 100 years of experience in oil and gas, in financing, sitting on our board. So we have the right board members, evidence, technical skills, good credit that we've built. You know, we've, we've been pain, we've painstakingly built our good credit over the past seven years that we have been, you know, in existence. And we always service our debt. We don't blame COVID. We don't blame the downturn. We don't blame Ukraine, we just settle our debts any which way we can, even if we have to suffer in-house, even if the board has to step in and give us shareholder loans, we service our debts. So we've built up our credit base. High oil prices are also, you know, aiding us at this, but that's an external factor. I'm more interested in the internal factor. So like I was saying, we've also gone beyond the financial institution support model. We deploy the right tools, like I said, for the right problem. I spoke about signature bonus and equity. I'm going to talk about working capital facilities as well, short-term facilities if it's, if it's a three-month program. Um, Pre-export finance, if you're at the export end stage, you have an off-taker, you can have pre-export finance. Um, hybrids, um, convertible debts, I mean, we've utilized that at different points in time. Um, we've had carrier arrangements, we've had, um, and also we use our retained earnings. So if you're doing well, you don't have, you, you should have a dividend policy. So then you have your, then you have your work program and budget approved by the regulator, so you know exactly how much you're going to spend. So you should be able to plan based on your retained earnings, how much you're going to utilize 
and you know put back into that for for development so so that that's my that's my response thank you very much you know some of us um who are observers of the industry will imagine when you have a situation you have 37 successful individuals all running to the uh give or take 21 banks we have in nigeria looking for how to fund um there and then at the end of a couple of years maybe they all land somewhere and come but i mean this is a very interesting case that you pointed out and um, i think that there's a lot of learning that can be taken from your experience so thank you very much for that i mean there's so many stakeholders we can imagine you talked about your board very solid governance um, in place and and all of the structures you have that enables you to be able to uh, get financing as when needed. But there are other stakeholders. So what is your investment that you currently have? How does it impact all the key stakeholders for your assets and for your operations? Thank you. Thank you. You know, you've, you know, I keep saying thank you because it's like, you know, the things that are dear to us and near to us in Federal Law 54. So I'm going to start with um, my board members and shareholders. Um, needless to say, they're happy. We continue to give them return on investments. Um, so they're happy. And I think um, we will continue to keep them happy. The other stakeholders, I'm going to talk about three stakeholders, are the employees. Now, this relates to the man on the street. Um, Ed count is increasing. You know, um, as we're expanding our operations, we're employing more and more um, bright minds, bringing them on board. And now to the one I really want to focus on is the community. The tagline for Petralon is collective energy for all. One of the things that we plan to do is to redefine the relationship between oil companies and the community. So what we do in Petralon is we want to fund projects, but not the projects that we think they need, the projects that they know they need. We want to sit with them and we do sit with them and ask them, what do you need? And they choose their representative who will run whatever they need. Our own job is to give them guidance because we're from the private sector and to finance and fund whatever it is that, um, that they will have to do. What, what, one other thing that we do that we see as an investment and that has only, we've only been able to do because of this investment is employ the youth of the community. We have what I like to call Petrolon 54 University. We take about 40 youth from the community. We train them. We retain some of them. The ones that are not retained are trained enough to go out and be gainfully employed with other companies, perhaps not even in the oil and gas industry. Yes. We also go a step further beyond that because we go at it on a multi-level basis and engage community vendors. So they are preferred vendors. If it's not a technical, um, if it's not something that Hishlombiji needs to do, then we seek a local vendor to, 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 to do the job. Okay, thank you very much. Um, stakeholders are very, very critical in everything you do um, in business and especially for oil and gas operations. Um, there are a lot of things that even the PIA talks about in terms of the community fund, um, you know, the commissioning costs and all of that, as well as funding the, uh, you know, restoration of the community themselves. So there's a lot of fund that over time there'll be clarity in terms of height, rates and all of that. You're absolutely right, GD. Yes. What we seek to do is to complement because I mean you can't do it alone. So what we mm. do since we're there, we're seeing it live. What we what we do is complement the federal government. In fact, what you've said also perfectly ties into what the spirit in the PIA is exactly. addressing. So exactly. this is very, very good. And thank you very much once again for that. Um, what are the things that you consider key considerations when you're looking at facilities and resources required to start for food production? I mean, you already have um, at the time of bidding for your assets, you had a work program, how you're going to develop the assets and all that. So what are the key sort of considerations that you have uh, going forward to get to that point of full production? Technical, 
and operational suitability and efficiency. We've been on an asset whereby it was a rig. You know, I've worked in a company where it was a rig that, you know, that brought the entire operation down. It wasn't the right specification. And so a program that was supposed to run for a certain period of time overran it by about a thousand percent. So technical and operational suitability and efficiency. EHSS is paramount. The health and safety of your staff, of the people, of the community, um, your security, the environment, cost efficiency comes a close third. And then scalability, because you have to look at economies of scale. What I have here, can I build on it? Don't bring in something that you have to take out in its entirety as your production increases. So you plan with the end in mind. I mean, you look at the life cycle of your field. Where will I be in five years? So it has to be scalable. Qualitative manpower, if you've got everything, your manpower is not um, what it should be. Um, perhaps hiring is on the basis of nepotism because, I mean, it's an oil and gas. People overestimate the flesh that an oil and gas company has. They assume that if you're making so much money, you can, afford, you can afford to have leakages. But if you hire the wrong set of hands, you destroy your entire operations. I'm not going to mention names. I've seen two or three companies run down, mainly because their, highest, their, their high level hires were hired on the basis of their surname. Um, business partnership. I think I left this for last, but it might be the most important one. Business partnership at every level. Business partnership with your staff, with the community, with your regulator, with your financier. You have to have the right partners. So, thank you very much. Uh, somewhere where you were talking, you you almost quoted, you quoted actually not almost you quoted Stephen R. Covey. Uh, you said you start with the end in mind, and I think that's a very good approach in terms of how uh, your company decides to progress. So there must be some sort of challenges that you might, you know, encounter in this progress of developing your field into where you want to take your company, your operations to. So what are these challenges that you see now and, you know, those that you foresee from a statutory, technical and financial standpoint? What challenges do you see? The challenges that I foresee on the technical front are, are those that I believe you will appreciate, GD. Yeah. Um, brain drain, emigrating human capital. Yeah. Uh, it's a serious us. one for all of us. Um, PIA migration, interpretation and implementation, you know, there will be teething pains, um, even if it's only because of the restructuring into the commission and the authority. Um, access to infrastructural facilities, operational facilities, um, environmental concerns, degraded environments. I mean, there's a lot of suit in Port Harcourt. And the health of our men, I'm concerned about it due to the consistent pollution. Um, evacuation routes, I mean, for you to evacuate and, you know, sell your crude and get your finances in place. Um, pipeline losses, uh, one, one of the pipelines, I'm told that in um, December last year, there was 90% loss and piracy and other security challenges. But I must stress, for every challenge, there's a solution. Mm, that's, that's a very, very uh, profound um, um, comment that you've made there. Thank you very much once again. Um, I think it will take a lot of working together with every stakeholder, like you mentioned earlier on, regulators, security, agencies, you know, around all our operations to get to that point where we see that we're able to create a lasting solution to the challenges that we face in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. All hands must be on deck. All hands must be on deck. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, what are your views um, in terms of what you perceive of the opportunities that this investment that you're making will bring for your company. And for, I mean, you're not um, in the marginal field space to play. You must have some no, benefits you're looking at. No, 
So what do you see as the you know benefits that coming back to you as an organization? Thank you. For Petrolon 54, I see a growth of technical and operational capacity. And we can deploy this as we grow vertically and horizontally. I see us being able to prove that we're able to deliver. We've been proving it for seven years, but you never stop proving. I see it as a leaping board for Petrolon to, you know, exceed um, the boundaries of Nigeria and go, um, you know, to other African nations and beyond that. And I also see it as a, as a chance and opportunity to fulfill our vision of an indigenous Africa energy solutions delivering collective value for us. So we're an energy company. We're not just an oil and gas company. Energy being everything. And finally, the most obvious one, of course, financial and developmental rewards to all stakeholders, community, shareholder, employee. Thank you very much. You know, your comment reminds me of the objective of even the local content development policy for Nigeria. Correct. And it ties out all of that. So, of course, you're building competence in that area. You're also developing your people. And then you're growing as an energy company, either vertically or uh, in any other dimension that you've considered, which is very, very, very profound. But I believe that um, um, with all of this, um, this is the kind of... Um, businesses that we're hoping to see more of in Nigeria um, and driving that sector of the marginal field oil players. Thank you. Um, I know that there are tax incentives, which we've discussed earlier on in terms of the fiscal terms for marginal fields operations, but I think there's a lot much more in terms of the advantages of being a marginal field Correct. operator. Yeah. Um, just to tie everything out again, uh, what do you feel are these advantages and how do you intend to take uh, um, advantage of them, if I might say? The beauty of being a marginal field operator is that you are nimble and agile uh, with respect to information. You're able to assimilate information and process it and in include it, inculcate it in the decisions that you make. So your decision making is faster and more informed. Therefore, you're able to pivot faster. You know, with a large establishment, you have to go through all the bureaucracy. For example, in my company, speak to two people and the decision is made. Um, and because of that, you are also real chain makers in respect to your stakeholders, for example, the community, you can see the direct measurable impact of what you're doing on the community and as a result on the state. You're empowering the youth directly. You attract the best minds because the best minds go to the places where they know they can make an impact, where they can see what they're bringing to the table and see it in real terms and see what is coming out from there. And um, they're also very committed because they're coming at the ground level into a company that is a potential um, separate, so to say. And then, of course, there's a growth of the technical, local, operational expertise as we empower the vendors and create entrepreneurs. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. I like the way you said create entrepreneurs there because the ripple effect of that is actually profound. And imagine where you have model companies just like yours doing the same thing across the entire value chain. Yes. What a great impact it will be on Nigeria's GDP growth. And of course, I like to say this very much, federal government taxes and revenues for the federal government of Nigeria. Um, it's been <laughs> wonderful having you in the studio today. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things. We started with your journey, and there's a lot of lessons for any listener today to pick from that. Um, I mean, there's the need to be very commercial, very intentional about your approach. You need to have very good governance structures in place. I mean, you talked about the fact that you have very, um, very, very good corporate governance in place, and that sort of helps you in terms of funding and financing a lot of um, uh, of your uh, programs up till date. Um, we see that you've worked together with regulators in driving the activities uh, of your business. And I think there's a lot of pointers to people out there who are also running similar assets, not to leave the regulators alone, 
but to involve regulators in every critical aspect of their operations. Um, there are a lot of things that you've considered in mobilizing resources. I like the fact that you talked about your employees and critical stakeholders as you drive your operations along. We also have challenges in this space. Uh, paramount or, you know, in, in terms of hierarchy on top of that is uh, security challenges we have in Nigeria. And I think that we will be able to, I mean, the private sectors, uh, marginal field operators, we're able to work together, relevant people in society as well as the government to bring a long lasting solution to this. Exactly. I really want exactly. to thank you so That's much correct. for sharing your thoughts, um, your understanding uh, with us in the studios today. And of course, the benefits to us in Nigeria uh, is very so. Um, I just want to thank you very much, Adiola Kremade, once more for coming to our studios today <laughs> and you, having Judy. a very great conversation. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you, PwC. Thank you, Judy, for having me. I had a great time. You are welcome.